Agility Podcast. My name is Margaret Hughes, and I'm your host. Today, I'm talking about agility equipment. Uh, Old equipment versus new, professionally made versus DIY or do-it-yourself equipment, and kitty-style equipment versus uh, professional or, or practice equipment made specifically for dog agility versus kitty style made for kids. <laughs> Let me start with old equipment versus new equipment. Uh, dog agility debuted in England in 1978. It came to the United States in 1986. So in the last 40 years, the equipment has changed and it is some of it has changed quite drastically um, others have just had some safety improvements uh, that have helped our dogs along the way because agility has a pretty good history now there's also a lot of equipment on the market in the in the in the used market that is dangerous or not recommended for using for dog agility anymore so I want to caution you that while there may be some good priced equipment out there, it may not be advantageous to, to jump on it because of the safety factors involved and the reasons that it was removed from dog agility uh, to begin with. Let me go through the equipment and give you a rundown on old versus new, uh, kitty style versus uh, professionally made and then professionally made versus uh, do-it-yourself uh, um, obstacles. So let's start with jumps. Um, back in the day, they used to be made with steel or uh, a metal that was all one piece. And so you would, you could pick up, literally pick up the entire jump um, it, with one hand. And the, the, the advantage of having that is that they didn't fall over easily and so you know in windy conditions the metal stood up the one piece element stood sturdy the downside to it and the reason why we have phased them out of agility is because they didn't move and when dogs would hit them uh, they would injure the dog rather than the jump falling apart and so there are a lot of jumps out there that are made of metal there the jump cups are made of metal I personally um, had one of my dogs uh, just an inch below their eye. It was sliced about an inch and a half long um, from a metal jump cup. And so we stopped using them because our dogs were getting injured. So I would avoid any jumps that are made of metal. I would avoid jumps that are all one piece, even the PVC pipe ones that are all one piece they're not as dangerous for the dogs but they still create an impact on the dog that if you have a soft dog can create some apprehension for the dog wanting to jump the style these days are pvc jumps or vinyl jumps that fall away from the dog on impact those are the the jumps that i would recommend today and, and we want displaceable bars, bars that are gonna come off when the dog hits them and, and not uh, hold on to the jump or 
cause the dog to um, injure a foot or a shoulder. The tire jump, the tire jump used to be an actual tire. And while we moved away from that a number of years ago, um, we went to an, an, a, like a corrugated pipe that was all one piece. And it was a non-breakaway tire. And today, we, because of handlers complaining to organizations, um, dogs were getting injured on the non-breakaway tires. They would uh, not jump properly. They would um, get their stomachs or their chest hung up on the tire and the entire frame of the jump would, would come down on the dog. Um, so it caused some injuries or it would flip the dog out of the tire. Um, so some of our most serious injuries uh, were with the tire jump before it became a breakaway tire. Uh, so the, the breakaway tire, and there's a lot of different varieties of this. There is still the, the corrugated pipe breakaway that's, that's attached with uh, magnets. There's also uh, one called a, a saloon door tire. A lot of organizations still use the metal tire frame, but the tire itself is displaceable or, or breaks away, which would be the equivalent of a drop bar. Because most organizations, if not all, have moved to the breakaway tire, there are a lot of the non-breakaway tires on the market. So if you come across a non-breakaway tire, I would either modify it so that it can break away, or I would walk away from it and not, not bring it into my training uh, equipment list. Let's talk about tunnels. Tunnels, oh, there is a lot of kitty style tunnels and i believe that they were originally made for children um, and these are lightweight fabric type tunnels that are with a wire that um, like it pops open it's, it springs open and these tunnels while they're great for children they are not great for dog agility dogs and they're not great for a lot of reasons the biggest one is that they're not secure enough and the fabric that they're made of is not sturdy enough to take on the weight of a fast moving um, animal. And what happens is dogs that are trained on kiddie style tunnels, they're not allowed to gain the speed and the traction that they want to gain. And so they slow down and it's, one of the main reasons that dogs slow down and become uh, um, less driven in agility is with these kitty style practice tunnels. Dogs need the ability to grab and rip and, and push off the side of the tunnel without feeling like they're stepping into a sand pit. And the kitty style tunnels allow for too much movement and that will in in turn slow the dog down because they're worried about pushing hard off the side so i am not a fan of the kitty tunnels i would not use one for a strong dog for sure 
I wouldn't use one for a little dog either because we want our equipment to be safe and sturdy for them. And for a timid dog that's worried about the equipment, the last thing you want it doing is moving on them. We want our tunnels to be secure, which will allow for speed, which will allow for confidence um, and and less injury. I should have I should have led with injury. The soft kitty tunnels, um, because they give, because they do not support our dog's running styles, the dogs can step into them. It's like stepping in a hole. They can um, tear ligaments and um, shred up their 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 bodies because the equipment is not supporting them underneath. Here are other things to take into consideration if you do get a professionally made tunnel or a practice tunnel. So there's different varieties. There is uh, competition tunnels and then there are practice tunnels. Uh, they're both professionally made, um, but one is allowed in competition because of its sturdiness, because of its dimensions, um, because of the pitch allowed on the wiring. The pitch is the 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 spacing between wires as it rolls down the tunnel. Um, and the practice ones, while they are fantastic for practice, there's just some specification that doesn't allow them to be competition tunnels. But regardless if you get a professionally made tunnel for practice or a professionally made tunnel for competition, the older the tunnel gets, the obviously the more wear it takes. Um, and here are some of the things to um, look out for if you're in the market for a used tunnel. Uh, number one, what I call spider webs. So when you look through the middle of the tunnel, you will see like spider webs coming down from the fabric or they can even be coming up. But uh, if you roll the tunnel, they'll be they'll be hanging down. And this is the material, the rip cord that is used for making the tunnel. Uh, so it's a nylon thread that is starting to come away from the plastic in the in the rip cord fabric. Um, and is now hanging down into the dog's space. So it can get wrapped around toes, it can get wrapped around um, uh, feet. Uh, it bothers dogs that are uh, in the tunnels if it's in their face, um, and it just can become dangerous. It can separate and actually grab onto the dogs. And so if you have a tunnel with spider webs coming down, number one, get in there and scissor cut them out. But two, also know that your tunnel is starting to fall apart. And so start to be aware that that holes are going to start to emerge. Um, more spider webs are going to continue to emerge. And also wire will start to be exposed when it starts to deteriorate. Uh, so things to look out for. The spider web threads, the nylon threads coming off of your tunnel that are coming in on the inside of the tunnel. Um, holes will start to emerge and the obviously the bigger the hole the more danger it poses um, and then wire will start to become exposed and so um, all of those things are, are reasons to avoid an older used tunnel um, and every tunnel manufacturer it, it, they kind of differ in their wear and tear of, of this and so some tunnels while they may only be a few years old, if they've been sat out in the, uh, the weather elements, they're going to take on more of these um, 
core characteristics of spiderwebs, holes, and wires exposed than some of the older, better-made tunnels. One last mention about tunnels is watch for tunnels that collapse under the weight of the sandbags. So when you have a sandbag holding the tunnel down, the, the, the tunnels will eventually take on an egg shape. So they will flatten out and they will become wider on the edges and flatter on the top and uh, towards the top and the bottom. Um, watch out for any tunnels that are starting to cause an egg shape um, or an oval shape as opposed to a round shape. Um, move your tunnels often, get your tunnel bags off of them when they're not in use and watch out for this, especially with our large dogs, our Leonbergers, our Bernese Mountain Dogs. Um, they deserve to have a full 24 inches to crawl through and the narrowing of the, the tunnel due to the tunnel bags is just not fair to our large dogs, especially on these 20 foot long tunnels. So watch for your tunnels collapsing over time over with the weight of the sandbags, they will change shape. So move your tunnels often and get your tunnel bags off of your tunnels when not in use. Um, in, the, in the arena of tunnels come tunnel bags. And it used to be that we would just throw milk carton jugs filled with water or pebbles with a piece of rope over a tunnel and that would secure our tunnels. And there have been some serious injuries with a small piece of cord holding the tunnel bags together. Um, what happens is when you are putting your tunnel bags on, the thinner the cord that's going across or the thinner the fabric that is going across your tunnel over the top of your tunnel, that will, if it's not across a rib, a wire rib, um, then it can pull the fabric down into the dog's space. And so if you're, uh, um, imagine that you have a piece of fabric and it is basically a canyon, the cord from the tunnel bag is causing a canyon into that fabric, that canyon is now in any big dog's range as they're coming through the tunnel. And so if it's on exit, they may be rubbing their back and their head right up along the top, uh, uh, um, along the top of the tunnel. And then as they're exiting, they come into this fabric that is hanging down or being pushed down and secured down by uh, sandbags or uh, pebble cartons. And it whacks the dog in the nose. So be very careful that when you are looking at your tunnel bags, the wider the fabric, and me personally, I wouldn't go any wider or sorry, me personally, I would not go any thinner on my fabric going across the top of my tunnel than four inches. Um, I personally have tunnel bags that are upwards of 12 inches. That's my preference. It goes over three, four of the ribs, which helps to hold the, t the fabric um, up out of the dog's space as they're running through. I don't want anything obstructing my dog um, as far as tunnel bag fabric pulling down into their space. So we want to open those tunnels up as much as we can 
and not allow any fabric to, to drop down into the dog's running space. Let's talk about contacts. Older contacts, so our, our contacts are the dog walk, the A-frame, and the teeter. Also in the contact um, category is also the table. But let's talk about our three uh, big running contacts. So A-frame, dog walk, teeter. For older style contacts, you want to watch out for dry rot on any wood surface that is used. So most of them are some form of a metal base. I've seen PVC bases, um, but your metal bases and generally, and it used to be that we use wood for the running surface. Um, now we're using more of a composite uh, uh, material with rubber on top of that. But our old contacts were wood-based. And so that wood base, you want to make sure there's no dry rot in there, um, especially if it's covered with rubber. You want to make sure and push down on all areas or look underneath for any dry rot and make sure that your wood surface is stable even underneath any rubber skins that may have been glued on. Um, so watch out for dry rot. The older contacts also, if they aren't covered with a rubber skin, they may be covered with a sand paint mixture. And me personally, I would never go the sand paint mixture ever again. Um, that is how my original dog walk and A-frame were covered, but now um, we know better. Dogs are slipping too much. They're slipping on the surface. Um, there's not enough grip on the sanded surface. And what will happen if we continue to use the sanded surface is dogs will run slower because there's less stability. Um, there's more cause for injury. Um, and definitely be careful on wet, uh, damp days because that sand is not gonna help them nearly as much as the rubber is. So I would avoid any uh, sanded uh, running boards on any of my contact equipment. Uh, the other thing is slats. So you have what uh, slatted and slatless uh, contacts, uh, meaning that there's either ridges at about 12 inches apart on um, either your, your A-frame or your dog walk. Most teeters do not have slats, but the, the up ramp and the down ramp of the dog walk do and the, the A-frames generally do. Although there are some organizations that are slatless, so no slats whatsoever, and there are problems with that configuration as well. Um, so while I'm not a fan of slatless equipment other than the teeter um, there are slats that we used to use uh, what what would it have been a, a one inch board by a half inch board um, literally a piece of wood that was on the equipment and every 12 inches or so um, the wood based slats i would avoid completely they caused broken toes jammed toes um, they are not dog friendly at all, especially the faster our dogs have gotten. Um, the, the wood slats just, they, they 
didn't work well for our dogs that were moving quickly, just lots of injuries, lots of toe injuries with wooded slats. So now they have rubber slats, which are much kinder to our dogs, give them traction, but at the same time aren't jamming up toes. Uh, so I would avoid um, any wood, uh, sanded wood. I would avoid dry rotted wood or at least replace your dry rot. Uh, as far as the base goes, watch for rust in your bases and the splitting of the metal. So if you live in a rainy area, um, you're likely to have pooling water inside of your uh, contact equipment inside the legs, which will cause the, the metal to rust. And so be aware of that. All right, so the last uh, contact equipment would be the table which some people put it in the contact group and others don't, but it, it technically is a contact obstacle. Um, for the table, the surface they use, again, along the same lines as the other contact equipment, watch for dry rot on any wood surface. Um, the sanded surface is not ideal for most dogs that are moving at speed. And we the, the problem with the sanded equipment is not only the safety of it, them slipping on it, it, it doesn't offer a whole lot of traction. But for those dogs that want to be fast, they're gonna slow up because of the surface, because it's, it's unstable. And so the sanded surface doesn't offer the confidence building that we want. Um, and it, it just leads dogs to slow down, to be um, not confident in their equipment, which causes them to really not enjoy the game. So I, I highly recommend a rubber skin, which is a, like a poured rubber versus a sprinkled rubber. So I would avoid the sprinkled rubber. I would go with a poured rubber. Um, it costs more, but in the long run, it is well worth it. Uh, for tables, also be aware of lightweight tables. There are tables out there with a PVC base um, that with our bigger dogs, with our 20 inch and 24 inch dogs, them jumping up onto the table, the whole table can actually tip over on them uh, because they're putting on the brakes and their weight is shifting the whole table over. So if you have a large dog with a PVC base, I highly recommend you either sandbag it or throw sand in the base period, which will make it harder to move, but safer for the dog. So there's one organization out there that uses hoops. These are like hula hoops that are on fixed bases. So this is an all-in-one piece uh, equipment that the dogs run through, like a hula hoop. Um, for our large dogs, so dogs that practice on hoops that um, are large enough for their tails to hit the hoops, um, I have seen dogs um, that run with their tails up and as they're passing through the hoop their tail is grabbing onto the top of the hoop and pulling the whole hoop with the dog. Um, so for these dogs I would definitely have some sand or some sort of weight in the base of the hoop to prevent it from dragging with the dog. Um, it's not a big deal for dogs that don't care but again for the dogs that do care it's going to drop their confidence. It's going to prevent them from wanting to go through the hoop in the first place. Um, and so protect your, protect your dog's confidence. Uh, add some sand 
or a sandbag to the edge of the hoop to help prevent it from being dragged behind the dog as they move through it. All right, I think we've come to our last piece of equipment and that is weave poles. Uh, weave poles have changed over the years and the old equipment that is out there um, is going to be a smaller space from, from pole to pole than the, the, the newer styles. So there are straight sets of six, there are straight sets of 12, there are channel weaves, there are uh, V-set weaves, there are two by twos out there, two by twos with a thicker base or a heavier base, and then two by twos with a lighter base. Um, all right, so first off is spacing. Uh, back in the day, it was, I think, 18 inches. Um, and so you will have old sets of weave poles out there that are 18 inches. Um, and now they are 24 inches or they are widely 24 inches. So the teacup group still use the 18, but most organizations are somewhere between 22 and 24 inches with most of the clubs going to 24 because that is the regulation for certain organizations. And so while the, the other organizations that allow for 22, they also allow for 24 inches. And so most clubs have moved towards the 24 inch spacing, which it leaves a lot of weave poles out there in the 18, 20 and 22 inch spacing. So when you are purchasing weave poles, an old set of weave poles measure from pole to pole, from center pole to center pole and it should be 24 inches i would walk away from a set that is 18 inches we've learned a lot about our dogs um, and the way that they move and less injury for uh, on the 24 inch spacing versus the 18 inch spacing um, so that's that's number one with your weave pulls uh, the other thing is the type of weave pull base that um, you purchase or or that you make. So there are lots of weave pole bases out there from uh, do-it-yourself wood ones to do-it-yourself PVC ones. I've, I've even seen do-it-yourself steel ones, which are definitely uh, of the three options. Those are the ones I would go for. Here's the problem with the wood ones. Um, they're going to create a bigger picture for the dog. Uh, so safety-wise, not a huge deal unless it's a small dog. For the PVC pipe bases, the biggest problem that I've seen with them is the weight of them. And they aren't as sturdy for the dogs to learn how to weave. And so it's okay for dogs that aren't, aren't that, um, that aren't that pushy with the weave poles. However, with speed comes uh, or with with confidence comes more speed and for dogs that are on pieces of, of weave pull base that move on them they'll learn one of two things either how to move the weave pulls out of the way and and plow through and then when they get to a trial and they're nailed down or taped down to the surface they can't move them and they start popping out of them because they're used to moving them. So that's the first thing. The other thing is for dogs that are not as confident in their weave pulls, the bases moving on them 
is it's going to cause the whole pole to move on them as well, which can cause the dogs to, to worry about their weave poles and worry more about the equipment than they are about their, their foot pattern. And so if you have a set of PVC bases that your dog is actually moving, then I would uh, add some sand to them or somehow make them more stable so that the dogs aren't able to move the entire base as they travel through the weed poles. Um, for the two by twos, it's the same problem. It, that the, the big dogs that are, are plowing through and adding uh, speed and just moving through the weed poles quickly, and they're touching the weave poles, they're shoving the weave poles out of the way, those lighter bases, you're just gonna end up with a dog that shoves the poles out. And when, when they get to a straight set of six and the weave poles don't move on them, they're gonna be like, hey, this isn't the same thing and, and possibly pull out. So for two by twos, while the light bases are great for handlers moving them into different air configurations, for big, heavy dogs that are weaving with gusto, you want a heavier base that's going to not move upon impact. And that takes us to um, support of the weave base. So when you look at a weave pull base, there are feet that come off of the weave pull base. And the more feet that are on the base, the sturdier it's going to be. If you only have two feet holding the weave poles um, in upright, then as the dog weaves through them, they're going to wiggle quite a bit. And for a dog that is moving with, with speed and gusto and actually moving the poles out of their way, those weaves are going to start to just sh shake and rattle as the dog's moving through them, which one, brings down confidence, brings down speed, um, and is just dangerous in general for the dog whacking themselves inappropriately um, with those weave poles. So for our big, strong weave pole dogs, I would go with a, a heavier base or a base that you can secure down um, and that has more feet to help support it. Um, my weave poles that, uh, I, I have multiple sets of weave poles, um, but my main set of straight six have a foot on every pole that is opposite to the dog's weaving pattern. My channel set has two metal bases that run parallel to each other with only two feet that come out at the beginning and the end of the set of six weaves and they definitely move more on my big dogs than my straight set that has feet um, every 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 pole on you know on opposite sides. The weave poles themselves, um, some organizations have moved away from taped weave poles. So that's the tape pattern that would run down a weave pole to show the dog um, where the weave poles were. Uh, they've moved away from allowing tape because it was pulling away from the poles and that residue, that stickiness was grabbing onto some dog's fur right in their uh, face, their eyes, um, depending on the where it was pulling away from the, the weave poles itself. Uh, so no more tape is used in some organizations. Um, recommend that if you have tape on your own weave poles to just make sure that they're not in your dog's face, um, that it's not grabbing onto your dog's 
um, coat as they're running through them. Again, it's not a huge a safety deal. However, it's going to slow your dogs down. It's going to um, cause them lack of confidence if they have a piece of tape hanging in their, their eyes where, you know, they want to travel. So pay attention to the tape. If you do have old, old poles that have tape on them, um, it's so easy to paint them. I would just peel the tape off, get some goo gone on there, um, get all the old residue off, and then repaint them. It's not terribly hard. Uh, it just takes a little bit of time. Some some organizations have just a color band, you know, every foot going up the pole. Others have a barbershop style um, color going up and down the pole. Uh, others have solid colored poles. So any of those are acceptable. All right, I think I've covered all the equipment. Uh, let me just go back to um, old versus new. Um, obviously, you're going to save a little bit of money on the older equipment, but just be careful of all the old stuff that's out there that is no longer allowed in competition. Um, professionally made versus DIY. There are some things that are easy to make DIY. Uh, jumps with PVC. It's easy to make. It's still, it, it's going to cost you about $35, um, $55 for either a winged or wingless jump, but it's, you know, definitely doable um, with, with PVC anyway, for me, <laughs> the, the vinyls are really nice, but um, harder to make. Um, stay away from any of the kitty style equipment, especially those tunnels. They are just not safe for our dogs doing um, actual agility with speed and wanting the, the dog to feel safe within that tunnel. And then practice versus competition style. Um, it's fine to do practice, uh, but if you're going to spend that kind of money, you might as well go with the competition and um, It'll last you a little bit longer, um, safer for the dog, and the resale value on a uh, on a on a competition grade equipment is much better than the resale value on the DIYs or the kitty style equipment. All right, that's it. Be careful of any old equipment out there. Please like and subscribe to my Go Get a Agility podcast. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Happy training. Woof, woof.